Well, also, with Terry not here today, I'm used to having water. That's that's a little bit different too. Okay, let's uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Uh, thank you for getting us through another week. Uh, we know that there have been difficulties. We know there have been trials, and yet, Lord, we now come to you today to rest to rest our hearts, rest our souls, and to just simply bask in the glow of your love. As we worship you this morning, Lord, uh, what a privilege it is to be able to come to your throne of grace. But we ask you, if you would, would you bless us now as we hear your word? Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? Would you be with us that every word that we hear will be in accordance with your will? That the words that I'm about to say are the words that have come from you and not from me. So just bless us to that end, we ask you. And again, for all those who are hearing this word today, whether they're here or whether they're online, Lord, uh, bless us with a greater understanding of this, your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Is it? Oh, spigot water. All right. What more can you ask for, right? From Joe Spicket himself. <clears throat> okay, we're going to be in the book of Revelation today. Again, we're in chapter 6, verses 9 through 17. I would ask if you would, would you stand uh, in honor of God's Word as it is presented to us this morning? Here's where John writes to us. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the fifth and sixth seals today. We have said that uh, perhaps may not all of us may not agree on, on these seals and activities in the revelation of Jesus Christ, on what they mean and, and how they will unfold. Some may see them as symbolic. Some may see them as exactly what we read that they mean in the Scriptures, verbatim. I still believe that many things as we find in so many other areas of the Revelation will be beyond the scope of our understanding. Perhaps 
even beyond our imagination as we find them and read them about them today. Clint Davis, many of you all may know, pastor over at the Chester Church, uh, he and I are, do a, a, a midweek Bible study on Wednesday morning, and we've been studying the book of Judges. We're about to finish. In fact, this, this coming Wednesday will be our last day. But in Judges chapter 13, verse 17, where the angel of the Lord is talking to Manoah, who is to be the father of Samson, Manoah asks him, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we can honor you. His answer, why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Well, that led to speculation. Speculation that it's it's perhaps Jesus that's there. Or maybe it's Gabriel, who knows? Suffice it to say that what wonderful means, here at least, is beyond what we can believe or understand. To that end, I think the book of Revelation is wonderful. In other words, beyond what we can believe or understand. But as we will say each and every week as we come into the pulpit here, there are two things that we've got to come away with every Sunday with this study of this mind-boggling, wonderful book. First, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And second, we sure better be ready when He does. I think those are two hard and fast rules that we can go by every week. And that's part of the lesson for today. How is it that so many will not listen to this book and other statements, prophetic or otherwise, that tell of a coming day and event that will bring the end of times as we know it? Yes, it's been being promised for a long time. It's been promised, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, and, and even well beyond that as well. The reason for God's long suffering, we can see it in a couple of instances in this chapter. Verses 1 and 2 says, I am writing this so you remember what's been said in the past concerning the promise of His coming. Verse 6 coincides with Genesis chapter 9 in the flood. But in 2 Peter 3 verse 7, here is where we are told how things will end. Verse 10, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be turned or burned up and dissolved. Peter goes on to say, this will, will be done in essence in God's way, in God's time, in God's patience. God will make it all happen at His disposal, not ours. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that should all reach repentance. Verse 9. But, he reiterates, the day is coming. And we, the faithful, are to wait for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness begins and dwells. In the meantime, we're to be diligent, living without spot or blemish, and at peace with others. In other words, we are to live Christ-like lives. We are to live peaceably with others, if at all possible. And believe it or not, many theologians don't believe that those words are true. They do not believe that the end is going to produce fire. It's going to dissolve, as it is said in the Scriptures. They believe that we are going to be coming back to this earth 
to this world. And that will be the new heavens and the new earth. I don't think so. I do not believe that, very honestly. I think it's all going to be done away with because there's been so much evil on it. He needs to start over again, okay? Start afresh and anew with all of his children. But honestly, I can't see how we can believe any other way. I just can't. I wanted to put those thoughts out there before we start looking at the two seals for today. These are two antithetical thoughts here in my opinion. Based on the one hand, the fifth seal concerns those who had been killed for their beliefs and for their witness to others, believers and unbelievers. There seems that in this chapter... At the outset of discovering the fifth seal, it was under an altar where these souls had been killed, where they were residing for the time being. Concerns the souls who had been martyred. One commentator I read said that this group would include all that were in the Old Testament, the Old Testament faithful. But it also talks about the cry collectively of the voices that shout, How long, O Lord? Now, let me back up a second and give you this. Go back to the fourth seal, where if you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, one-fourth of the people on earth would be destroyed. Many would have been killed at that time again. I can't say. How long? How long before you judge our killers, those who didn't believe your word and assassinated us through the, the killing of our bodies, of our minds, or even through our characters? How long before you avenge our blood on those who were left on earth, still attempting to find your followers, if and wherever they may be found, so that they might destroy them as well? Will there be any believers still here? I don't know. Many or most of them may be killed by then. Again, I don't know. I cannot say. My mind is not strong enough or wise enough to be able to know what that all is going to look like. But remember why God has not destroyed the earth yet, according to Peter. It was so that all who will come to Him will come to Him. He wants to give everyone that one last chance. But what about those who come to Christ at this point, whether the church or a remnant of it? Is it still here or whether it's still here or not? Well, maybe it would just be pockets of believers. Who can say? What will happen to them during that great tribulation period, though? Look again at the fourth seal where about a fourth of the world would be destroyed. Matthew 14, 9 says that they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, there's a lot of incentive there to be a Christian, isn't there? To follow Jesus, I mean. But what happens? But that happens now, doesn't it? As we've said There's tribulation around the world today for Christians. And yet, this tribulation will be far greater than anything that we have ever known before, at least the way I understand it. You with me so far? Okay. Look further at verse 11. Each were given a white robe and told to rest a little bit longer. That is until all of the brothers and sisters who would be martyred 
It would be completed. Who would be killed like they were? Now, understand this. The people who were crying how long are not looking for vengeance of their own blood. It simply pains them to know that others would have to endure what they have endured. I know the imagination can go wild here, but now I want to move on to the sixth seal. Sixth seal isn't something that I don't think we really want to be around here for, quite frankly. Unless for whatever reason you may still be here and are or have some uh, have become a surviving believer in this time of trial and tribulation. I again go back to what Peter said, not wishing that they should perish, but that all should seek repentance. That, I think, is a key point and will continue to be a key point. Man's role is all but done now, at least the way I understand it. The strife and tribulation caused by any and all who will not be saved, no matter it be in a group or, or in a body, may, maybe even individuals, but it is now all in God's hands in the sixth seal, as if it wasn't all in His hands to begin with, right? There will be a cataclysmic earthquake. Stop right there a second. Here's Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That being said, let's move on. Look at the description of what that day will look like in verses 12 through 14. The sun will become black. The moon become like blood. The stars fall out of the sky. The sky vanished. And every mountain and island were removed from its moorings. Just ripped up. Enough to scare you yet? You want to be here for that? Huh? It shouldn't be scary for any one of us though. Why? Because no matter what. Look at John 16 verse 33. I have said these things so that you may have peace for I have overcome the world. And folks... That verse includes us. Now, here's where I'm going to speculate a little bit. Hear this. It is my thinking and no one else's. As I read this, wouldn't it make sense to come to this conclusion, though? After having read what Peter said about God's patience and all, and and waiting to save all who would be saved, after having come to the point of man destroying any most or all believers who were left on the earth, according to the way verses 12 through 14 sound to me, to that end under the fifth seal where the martyrs are crying, How long, O Lord, before those who are still left on earth will be judged and our blood avenged? And the evil of man could no longer reach that last saved soul because they've all been martyred, all are gone now. Still with me? And then we shall see what was left. What was left was going to be overwhelmed with catastrophic circumstances because they refused to be saved. I have to wonder why. After having all this happen, after all this taking place, whether it's sequentially, whether it's chronologically, whether it's however all of this looks like that we have dealt with, with the previous five seals, and then we come to the earthquake. And whether there are still Christians, believers here or not, irrelevant. You come to this point, 
And it's about time for the curtain to come down. And I have to wonder why. Why, after having been told for centuries that this time would come, that there would be circumstances that would occur to make everyone see that the Scriptures are right and what they had been saying for centuries was real and accurate. I have to wonder why. Maybe, maybe more like how. How could it be that there were some who would not as we will see in the last few verses, how they could not believe. When did they not see that at some point in time, or or it came to them at some point as all of this was happening, whoa, here, maybe what I've heard about all this end time stuff, maybe what what I'd heard about the the Bible, maybe what I read when I was a child and was going to, uh, to church, maybe all that was true. You think? Is it possible? After all, I personally believe that that what Peter said was true, that God's patience was made manifest because there was someone or a number of someones that he had chosen to be saved, and those folks were just a tiny bit slow. Okay? I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. And yet, maybe they, they finally come to that realization that the time had come and was now over and gone. They couldn't make a decision for Christ. After that time, anyone left here on earth, that was, I think, the official it's too late signal when the earthquake happens. And maybe it was that earthquake that was the signal here. I don't know. Not the fourth seal and rider where a fourth of the world was destroyed. That should have been for sure a a wake up before it's too late call to the lost. Maybe that's the way it was supposed to be all along and it's taken all this time to see it. I don't know. But let's look at 15 through 17. Revelation 19, 11 through 21 may help fill in what's taking place here, but quite honestly, the way I'm going to approach these sermon topics, I'm going to deal with the section that we are dealing with right then. I'm not going to start looking all over the place in the book of Revelation. To me, that gets confusing. we got to deal with what we have right there before us. But, but the first question might, could be, Was it really too late for those who were left to face total annihilation, to repent, and to be saved? On the one hand, I go back to 2 Peter again, hoping for some miracle. And yet it appears to me that because of their lack of desire to repent, maybe it was too late. There have been... Might have been initial anger. I mean, look at those whose people, who these people were talking about here that were left, okay? You've got kings. You've got generals. The great ones, it says, whoever they may be. You've got the rich and the powerful and everybody else. Slaves and all were looking for a place to hide. All looking for cover. None, if I read this correctly... We're looking to repent. Do you see that the order here from the great, 
to the least on the earth, all who were left were included in this. Not a single solitary soul was left out of what was left here. No level of society was left untouched. All angry because their lives had been disrupted. Their status in society had been left uh, not what it used to be. All angry because their lives have been disrupted. Their status in life ruined. All inconvenienced. But nobody, nobody repenting. Instead, they hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Does this sound familiar? Hiding from God? We'll go back to Genesis 3, 8 through 10. You recall what happened there in that particular passage? Well, Adam and Eve had sinned against God. And what do they do when they hear God coming for His nightly walk with His, uh, with, with his creation? But what do they do? They hide from God. And you remember what God does? He didn't go just looking around and play hide and seek with Him, okay? He asked, where are you? In other words, they could not run from Him and hide. There is not going to be a single solitary person left on the face of this earth who will be able to run from God and hide. There will be no hiding places. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says that when the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? He is going to do that. That is who. Remember now, the mountains had already been leveled out, ripped down, so they're looking for any rock that they can literally hide under. More than that, they're begging these massive pieces of rock, formerly known as mountains, just fall down on us. Kill us right now. Hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. We can't stand up to this. Can you imagine what this sight might look like? The great thing about it is, is we don't have to imagine it because we won't be here to see it. Not as I understand this passage. We will be safe from harm, whatever that might look like. But this last segment reminds me of one promise that was made many years ago. Whether it happens right here at this particular point, I, I don't know. I can't say, but it sure looks like a good time for it to take place. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 13. Paul writes this guarantee. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if we happen to be here, could you not hear those words at that moment in time? Wouldn't that be a moment? That great day of wrath had come. Who can stand up against that? For everyone who believed in themselves that they were the center of their universe, that there was no God, that they were their own God, 
We worship our own gods, don't we? Therefore, we would worship ourselves. It was we that made ourselves to succeed in this world. We didn't need any God. We didn't need anybody else to help us. They finally saw it. Live and in person. They were not the be-all and the end-all they thought they were. And yet I think to a point they understood what was happening here. Again, the rocks, again, for asking the rocks for assistance, those who are under the most severe attack ever known by man, is asking that they be hidden or crushed by these mountainous rocks to be hidden from him who is seated on the throne and hide from the wrath of the Lamb. It's a very interesting statement there. And yet they forgot one thing. Killing the body is one thing. That would be bad enough, especially the way this was going to be. But you got to remember one other thing. Judgment is coming. Where did all this come from? The wrath of the Lamb, I think, is a very interesting statement here. One commentator stated, stated that this was one of the most the greatest paradoxes of all time. Why? Well, have you ever seen a sign anywhere that said, Beware the Lamb? Ah, think about that, right? No, you haven't seen anything like that. A lamb is usually gentle. And when we think of the lamb, who do we think of? What's well, Jesus, of course. The term lamb is used approximately... 277 times in the scriptures. The term usually alludes to something gentle, something sacrificial. Lambs were used extensively in the Old Testament as useful for sacrificing. Of course, we know that Jesus was going to play that same sacrificial role to save us from our sins. John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist hit the nail on the head when he described Jesus when he saw him for the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These people in our reading in Revelation 6, who had the opportunity to be saved from the wrath of Almighty God, who knew who God was, who Christ was, and knew their positions of authority, and yet they still refused to believe. Again, I have to ask why. If you'll go back to our study of Proverbs, we have hints even there about how we should carry ourselves in this life. Proverbs 22, verses 3 and 4 says this, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Do you see where the prudent hid? Before it all took place, he was hiding in the Lord through his fear and humility of the Lord and doing what he had been recommended to do, commanded to do. It's pretty simple to think about it. I mean, understanding all that, at least anyway. Maybe not so easy to actually do it every day, but that's where Christ's shed blood comes into play. That's where grace and mercy become our friend. Psalm 46, 1 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God hides us in this day and time from difficulties, even from the sins that attempt to follow us constantly. That's the good news of the gospel. That's good news for any and all who will listen and follow. For those who have to do it their own way, who have to be the center of their own universes, who have to be their own God, and not the Lord's, there's only one question that I can ask. Again, it's one word. Why? Let's pray. Father, thank you. These are difficult words to hear because I think we all know somebody who fits in these categories. And yet, there you are. As Second Peter 3 told us, you're there waiting for those who will come to do that very thing. You're a patient, loving God, far greater than we deserve. But also, you're wonderful beyond our imagination and our understanding. Today, we just simply ask, if you would, help us to see who you are. That you are a loving, kind God, but that you are also a just God. And there will come a day. We see it unfolding right here in Revelation 6. But there will come a day when every single person will have to come to that time, that time of judgment. For those who are still alive, maybe we'll have to come to that time of of the, the earth just literally falling apart, burning up. And yet, we can look at these things, these words, these thoughts and ideas with great love in our hearts because we know that you will protect us. It's good news, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at our catechism question for the morning. It is question number 21. The, oh, sorry. The question is, what's...